please open your Bibles to Luke chapter 18. As you turn to Luke chapter 18, just a reminder for those of you who are wanting to find out more about Bethany Community Church, we have a, uh, a Bethany 101, kind of a class with information and a class for people who are considering membership. That's going to be uh, this Saturday at 9 a.m. at the farmhouse, and there's some directions to the farmhouse there in your bulletin. And it's also, uh, there's a second part of the class it's, that's uh, this afternoon uh, after church for those of you who uh, began that last Sunday. So we look forward to participating in, in that again and just a fun time to talk about the church, answer any questions that you might have. Well, we're in Luke 18, uh, verses 18 through 30, and so if you'd stand with me in honor of God as we read his word together this morning. Luke chapter 18, uh, beginning in verse 18. Luke writes, And a ruler asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor your father and mother. And he said, all these I've kept from my youth. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, one thing you still lack, sell all that you have and distribute to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. But when he heard these things, he became very sad for he was extremely rich. Jesus, seeing that he had become sad, said, How difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard it said, Then who can be saved? But he said, What is impossible with men is possible with God. And Peter said, See, we have left our homes and followed you. And he said to them, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God, who will not receive many times more in this time and in the age to come eternal life. You may be seated. May your hearts be encouraged and strengthened through God's word this morning. And let's pray. Father, we do thank you for these words that we, we find as we turn to your word this morning. And Lord, some of them are very hard to understand. So I, I pray that you'd give us hearts that are receptive to receive your truth and, and, and live it out, to, to practice it. Help us to, to understand these things. Help me to clearly communicate them. And help our hearts to be soft. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. One afternoon when I was in college... I was leaving the campus, walking to the, the parking lot, and as I, I walked the parking lot on the, uh, to the side of the sidewalk, there was a, a table that someone set up with some t-shirts on it. And being a college student with limited clothing budget, I, I said, hey, uh, t-shirts, and walked over to the table to see how I might acquire one of these t-shirts. And there, there was some lettering or signage or something like that that said, uh, free t-shirts, which sounded attractive to me. Uh, free t-shirts, and then in in smaller font, with completed credit card application. It's interesting. I walked over to the the table and asked the lady, how do I get my free t-shirt? She said, well, all you need to do is take this clipboard, give it to me, take this pen, 
sounds great, and fill out the form. How hard could this be? And so I fill out the form, and I, I gave her the completed form and walked back to my car with a free T-shirt. Now, free was a very interesting word to use to describe that T-shirt. Now, by God's grace, I, I didn't abuse that, that, that credit card too greatly, but I had many friends who, who walked by that sidewalk and saw that same table and filled out the same application and received the credit card. And let me tell you, uh, that T-shirt was not free for them. <laughs> some of them got into some, some serious debt, not just because of that credit card, but, but through other circumstances in their college life as well. But the credit card didn't help, right? Looking back on it now, I, I think there were a, a couple things that were very inappropriate about the methodology that that credit card company utilized in order to, to sign students up. First of all, I think it was inappropriate to, to use a, a hook that was different than the product. In other words, the, the thing being advertised was not the credit card. The thing being advertised was, was the T-shirt. And so a person came to that table not because they understood what a credit card was and not because they believed that they, they needed some, some extra credit or that they believed and understood the, the ease of use of a credit card. They came to the table because their college kids wanted a T-shirt. The hook was, was different than the product. And then secondly, what I also think was inappropriate about the methodology employed by that credit card company was that they, they trivialized the commitment. Instead of sitting down with the college student and saying, look, uh, we want you to fill out this form. This is an application for credit. We're going to give you a piece of plastic, and you're going to be able to buy things with it. And uh, here's the kicker. We're going to want you to pay us back. And if you don't pay us back, it's going to be really painful for you. If you don't pay us back when we want you to pay us, we're going to charge you. If you don't pay us back the amount we want you to, to pay us, we're going to charge you. And sometimes we're just going to charge you. They didn't understand the commitment they were entering into. The commitment was trivialized. Just fill out this form. And because of that mindset, many students got into a lot of trouble with their credit cards during, during my college years. What I want to suggest to you this morning is that Sometimes our explanation of the gospel is inappropriate in similar ways. Sometimes our hook to people is something less than the person of Jesus Christ. In other words, instead of saying, look, I want to give you Jesus Christ as I explain the gospel, I'm going to explain to you who Jesus is. We're like, come to church and you're going you're gonna to be entertained. Come to church and there's going to be like a, a high wire act or there's going to be a juggler. There's going to be some, some, some exciting things. There's going to be music. There's going to be all these things. And, and come to church to, to get those things. Or are, are, you, are you sad? Come to church. And we're going to talk to you about the gospel and you're going to be happy. Are you struggling financially? Come to church. We're going to talk to you about the gospel and how you can be well off. Uh, come to church. Are you feeling kind of bad about who you are as a person? Come to church, and we're going to make you feel good about yourself. Are you feeling kind of guilty? We're going to take away the guilt. And whatever it is, the hook becomes something different than what we're actually offering people. When people come to the church, what, what should we be saying? Look, we want to give you the treasure, Jesus Christ. 
And we want to talk to you about Jesus Christ and his majesty and his splendor and, and, and his glory and, and how you can have a relationship with God through the person of Jesus Christ. But that's not what we say sometimes, isn't, is it? And, and so we, we trivialize or exchange what we're offering people. The second way that we emulate that credit card application process is we trivialize the commitment. Not only do we, we change what we're offering, we trivialize the commitment. We say things like this, uh, just, just pray a prayer. Just, just, if you want to be a Christian, just, just raise your hand right now, wherever you are. If, if you want to become a Christian, just, just believe in Jesus without even describing what, what belief means what it means to, to come to the person of Jesus Christ and, and understand his, his call on a person's life as, as one places their, their trust in Jesus Christ for their salvation. We minimize the seriousness of the commitment that a person is making when they respond to the gospel message. This morning, we're going to see a shocking explanation of the gospel, a shocking explanation of what it means to receive eternal life. And there's a rich young ruler in this story who comes to Jesus. And as he comes to Jesus and asks the question, how can I receive eternal life? Jesus says some things that surprise him greatly. And my belief is, as we go through the story, you and I are going to encounter some things about the gospel that may shock us as well. There are a lot of layers to this story, a lot of layers to this passage. And, and what I suggest we do together this morning is we do this. And really, it's not much of a suggestion because there's nothing you can do about it. But here's what, how I plan on going through the passage. Uh, first of all, I want us to consider the important question that's asked in verse 18. We're going to look at an, import, an important question. And then after we look at that important question, we're going to look at two discouraging truths, some things that Jesus said that are very discouraging to the rich young ruler and things that you and I might find discouraging as well. And then after we look at that important question, these two discouraging truths, we're going to look at a great answer, a great answer that Jesus gives to that important question that the rich young ruler asks in verse 18. Okay, so let's go ahead and do this. Let's look, first of all look at the important question that's asked in verse 18. We see this. Uh, a ruler comes up to Jesus and says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, remember where we are in the passage. This ruler has been with Jesus. Perhaps he's listened to Jesus tell the parable of the tax collector and the Pharisee. He's been around whenever Jesus has talked to these children about uh, the kingdom of God or talked to the people that are around the children about the kingdom of God and how one receives the kingdom of God. And this rich young ruler, we find out that he was young from Matthew, and here we see this rich and he's a ruler. Um, we find out that this rich young ruler has been listening to this, and, and a, a question comes to mind. This person was young. This person's very wealthy. And this person is esteemed in the community. Luke tells us that he's a ruler, and, and perhaps he's a ruler in the synagogue, but uh, he's awfully young to be a ruler in the synagogue, and so perhaps he has some sort of uh, civil authority in this group. Whatever the case, he's a, a person that's esteemed in the community, not just for his wealth, but for his morality, for his station in life. And so this person hears Jesus saying these things about how a person receives the kingdom of God, and it's very confusing. The things that he understood about how a person would receive the kingdom of God are not the things that Jesus is saying. 
A Pharisee, he would have assumed, would be in good standing with God. Jesus says, no. Children, whom he would have assumed not in a great standing before God, Jesus says, are good, and you need to become like a child to receive the kingdom of God. And so the, the, the rich young ruler is very confused by this, and so he steps up and, so he a- and asks Jesus, a good teacher, <laughs> what must I, I do to inherit eternal life? W- what are you getting at here? What are the things that I have to do in order to, to be a part of the kingdom? That, that phrase, receiving eternal life, is a phrase that Jews would have used to describe what we call being saved, what the New Testament calls being saved. How can I receive eternal life? How can I be part of the kingdom of God? The the psalmist in Psalm 37 would say, evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait on the Lord shall inherit the land. The, The righteous will inherit the land. Verse 11, the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in, in abundant peace. Verse 18, the Lord knows the days of the blameless and their heritage will remain forever. And so there's this idea that the righteous are going to receive eternal life, life everlasting, the kingdom, the land. It, it's all part of being saved. Daniel in Daniel chapter 12, verse 2 would would talk about the resurrection. He'd say, many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, eternal life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And so the first century Jew, like this rich young ruler, wants to know, what is it that I do in order to make sure that, that I'm part of the, the righteous who receive eternal life? Remember we saw someone in Luke 10 ask the same question, how do I receive eternal life? What must I do? And the question or the goal of having eternal life is, is a good goal, right? It's an important question to ask ourselves. Life is, is so very, very short. Yesterday afternoon, I got a message from my mom and heard that my dad's best friend had, had been in a, a plane accident. He's a flight instructor and was in a plane accident. By, by yesterday evening, my, my dad's best friend w- was, was home with the Lord. How, how quick is that? His family's grieving, and, and yes, yesterday morning, everything was, this time yesterday morning, everything was fine. Today, the, the family is grieving the loss of my dad's friend. There's no more important question that we can ask ourselves than, than how can I receive eternal life? How can, how can I be saved? How can I make sure that I'm, I'm part of the righteous who receive God's blessing and become part of his kingdom forever? It's an important question, and it's the exact right question for the person to ask. But as we read verse 18, we see him ask the question, you recognize that there's something off, right? Look again at the text. The question is good in the sense that you, you, you want to ask how you receive eternal life, but what's, what makes us uncomfortable as evangelical Protestants, reading verse 18, what makes us very uncomfortable in the way that the rich young ruler phrases the question? He says, what must I do, right? Well, what do I have to do? I, I know that I needed to do some things to receive eternal life, to be considered part of the righteous, so, so what do I do? Come on, Jesus, tell me, what, what good deeds must I do in order to be part of the righteous, to be in the, the, the cool kid group that gets the kingdom? That's the important question. The question of how a person can obtain eternal life is the most important question that a person can ask. Now we see two discouraging truths in verses 19 through 23. Look at these verses, the two discouraging truths in verses 19 
through 23. Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You you know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And so uh, here in verses 19 and 20, again, we're looking at these two discouraging truths. As as we look at these verses, we see some things that that cause us some confusion. They cause us a little bit of discomfort as we look at these these verses at, at the reply. The first thing that causes us a little bit of confusion occurs in in verse 19. It says, And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Now, as we read that, why does that cause us a little bit of confusion? We're not confused that Jesus would say that God is good, right? In 1 Chronicles 16.34, give thanks to the Lord. He's good. His steadfast love endures forever. Psalm 34.8, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Psalm 106.1, praise the Lord. Oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. It's not surprising to us that Jesus would call God good. What is surprising to us is that he would distinguish himself from God, it, it seems like at first glance. Why do you call me good? Well, we call you good, Jesus, because you're God. Is Jesus saying that, he, that he's sinful? No, he's not saying that. You see in 2 Corinthians 5, 21, that he knew no sin. Hebrews 4, 15, he, he was without sin. What is Jesus doing there? We're going to understand this more as we go through this, this part of the text, but let me just say this. I think what he's saying is, he's, as he's saying this, I think what he's trying to do is, is challenge this ruler's assumptions about who is good and about how one obtains goodness. Why are you calling me good? What about me makes me good? Wouldn't you agree that no one but, but God is, is good? God, God alone is good? He's going to challenge his thinking. So, we see, the, we see these two discouraging truths. Um, Hey, do I, Mike, do I need to just, uh, do you have that? I don't have it. Okay, thanks. You're, you're, already, you're ahead of me. You're ahead of me. You can go back. I'm sorry. I didn't see the thing change. Um, technology. Got to love it here. So two discouraging truths here. And we're, we're seeing first of all here, as we look in verses 19 and 20, we see these, these things that make us a little bit uncomfortable in Jesus' response. So verse 20 now, we see Jesus is saying, why do, you, why do you call me good? No one's got good except God alone. And now we see another part about Jesus' response that, that makes us a little bit uncomfortable. He begins to quote some commandments. He says, uh, you know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your, your father and your mother. Now this really throws us off, right? Why is Jesus, when he talks about how to receive eternal life, why is Jesus listing off commandments? Why doesn't Jesus just pull out the wordless bracelet, you know, the colored bracelet and say, look, here's black, this is the, the, the color of your heart, and here's, here's the dark bead, and now uh, here's you know, the red bead. And why, why doesn't Jesus describe to him the gospel as we understand it? Why does he start listing off commandments? 
let me give you four observations about verse 20. I think verse 20 is a very hard verse in Scripture to understand. Let me give you four observations that may help us make sense of verse 20 and what Jesus is trying to do. It, it's a brilliant thing that Jesus is doing here. It's going to lead to a culmination later in the passage. But first observation is this. Notice Jesus is answering the question that was asked him. The rich young ruler says, what must I do? What, what are the things that I, that I have to do in order to inherit eternal life? And so what is Jesus giving him? He's giving him things to do. Here are some things that one would do if one was going to obtain eternal life based upon one's own efforts. The second thing that I want you to notice is, is remember the context in which this verse occurs. Now, if the only scripture that I gave you was Luke 18, verses 19 and 20, or maybe let's say 18 through 20, and you read that, it would be understandable for you to be a little bit confused about how someone comes into a right relationship with God. You say, wow, how do I receive eternal life? Um, I, I guess I need to obey these commandments and see, see how well I do. But this is one of the reasons that we, we teach expositionally, that we preach passage by passage by passage. Don't forget what we've seen in previous weeks. Don't forget what Luke is trying to communicate over and over and over again in this chapter. What did, he, what did we see earlier? Verse 9, with the parable of the tax collector and the Pharisee, those who trust in themselves that they were righteous. Remember what he, what he, what he told us in that parable? There's a Pharisee standing by himself praying to God, saying, I, I thank you, God, that I'm able to do all these things. And this tax collector stands up and says, I'm able to do nothing, and throws himself on the mercy of God. And Jesus tells us, Luke says, that one of these, the tax collector, is justified, is declared right before God. The Pharisee, trusting in his own works, is not declared righteous. He goes down, not justified. He returns to his house, not justified. Then we see right next to that, we see the, 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 the story of these children coming to Jesus. And these children come to Jesus, and Jesus tells us that the, the person who would receive the kingdom of God must become childlike. They have to recognize their weakness and their need. Later in the chapter, we're going to see about the, the blind beggar crying out for God's mercy. We're going to see Zacchaeus in Luke 19. My, my point is this. After just having said that one must throw oneself on the mercy of God in order to receive justification. Do you really think that Jesus is now turning around and saying, hey, the things I said a couple verses ago, never mind, I was way off. <laughs> I know I told the parable about this righteous guy not being able to receive the kingdom of God, but, but rich young ruler, what I want you to do is pursue that exact path that I just said was the wrong one. No, of course he's not saying that. Here's the third observation that I want us to make as we, we look at this passage. The third thing that I want you to think about is the fact that, that the same person who wrote this story of Jesus interacting with a rich young ruler also wrote Acts 16.31, Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Luke understands faith-based righteousness. And the fourth thing that I want you to think about here the fourth thing, and this is crucial, the fourth observation, remember the purpose of the Ten Commandments. Remember the purpose of the law. It's different. God's purpose for the law 
is different than the purpose of the law for the first century Jew, that the purpose that they had created for it. The first century Jew approaches the law like this. They say, okay, here's the law. Now I'm going to figure out how I've been obedient to it. Remember, we talked about this earlier. Remember Luke chapter 10? The uh, lawyer approaches Jesus. And remember their interchange? He says, um, what must I do to have eternal life? And Jesus says, well, how, what does the law read to you? He says, the two greatest commandments, love the Lord your God, love your neighbors, yourself. And Jesus says, that's right, do that and you'll live. Do that and you'll receive eternal life. And what, is it, what does the text tell us next? Wanting to justify himself, he said, and who is my neighbor? The lawyer wanted to be able to say, here's the commandment. Now let's define this commandment in such a way that I can say, check, done it, I'm good to go. So here's the commandment to honor your parents. And instead of saying, wow, I, I haven't been obedient to that, the, the first century Jew would say, how can I define that commandment in such a way to say, yes, I've been obedient. But what does Scripture say the purpose of the law is? Romans chapter 7, Paul tells us, what shall we say, that the law is sin? By no means. Yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have, listen to this, I would not have known sin. I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive, and I died. You see what he's saying there? I wouldn't have known what covetousness was until the law came, so do not covet. I'm like, oh, wow, I'm a coveter. It's like explaining that something's wrong to a, a little child. Is a, is a little child innocent? Ha! <laughs> right? <laughs> of course they're not innocent. But what do we do with a child? We explain to them why what they're doing is wrong. So a child is throwing a temper tantrum, taking their toys and just throwing them across the room, beating their brother with them, and you say to a child, that's wrong. The wrong is already there. Now you're giving a name to it. That's losing your temper. We frown upon that. And now the child has a name to go with what they're doing. Ah, I'm losing my temper. I kind of like this. The law doesn't give one the ability to, to change. It gives one the ability to recognize that they're a sinner. And so the child goes, oh, this is losing my temper. I'm completely powerless to, to stop this in and of myself. There's this... Uh, there's this Twitter account that I follow called The Honest Toddler. You ever heard of The Honest Toddler? It, it, it's hilarious. It's this person who's giving these tweets from the perspective of a two-year-old or a three-year-old, this toddler. And here are some of the things uh, that this toddler tweets in real time. I think they really capture the personality of a, of a toddler pretty well. So first tweet, uh, currently in timeout, relaxing. Apparently it's against the law to discipline eggs. Next. Anyway, this isn't timeout. I can leave whenever I want. Next tweet. Running like a snow leopard out of timeout. Next. LOL, she can't catch me. Back in, but it was a mutual decision. <laughs> Moving so slowly out of timeout, she can't see, hear, or smell me. I'm invisible. Never mind. 
Next, someone tell Dora I won't be answering any of her questions this morning because I made one honest mistake eight or nine times. She came in and asked me if I'm sorry. Sorry for this terrible life? Yes. Sorry I didn't destroy the evidence in a controlled burn? Absolutely. Sorry I don't have more open-minded parents who respect my need to innovate? You bet I'm sorry. And last tweet, sometimes when I do bad things, it feels like eating cake, but afterwards, I still want cake. A toddler, a young child, uh, uh, is a sinful person, but, but the commandments and instructions come in and reveal sin to them. Ah, now I have a name to go with this, this thing that I'm doing. That's what God's law is like. It's not like we're, we're perfect people, then the law comes, we're like, oh, wow, I, I used to be so perfect, now I'm not. But the law reveals our sin to us. On the back of your uh, notes this morning, if you're, if you're taking notes, you'll notice that there's some, some questions there. And those questions are, are reworded versions of the Ten Commandments. It's from a book called Tell the Truth, The Whole Gospel to the Whole Person by Whole People by Will Metzger. So, for example, the first commandment becomes a, a yes or no question. Yes or no, I, I've never put anything else before God in my life. I've always given God first place in my thinking, affections, and actions. Uh, second question, I, I, I've never had any wrong conceptions about God, nor worshipped Him in any way not recommended by Him. I, I've always rejected any wrong imaginations or images of God that I've seen or thought or, and refused to remake God according to my liking. You take the fifth commandment, you say, well, I've, I've obeyed my parents. Well, have you? You would say, I've never disobeyed nor dishonored my parents or any others in authority over me. I've always respected and been thankful for my parents and given them the honor and, and willing obedience as well as other authorities over me. You say, well, Dana, I've never murdered anyone. Look at number six, how it's reworded to get the, to the heart of the instruction. I've never murdered anyone, nor had hateful thoughts or taken the slightest pleasure in seeing harm done to another human. If you've ever watched America's Funniest Home Videos, you violated that one, right? I think it's hilarious when they fall off the things. I've always thought more of others than I have of myself and practiced the high regard, highest regard, the highest regard for human life and justice and so on and so forth. And so in other words, when a person comes to God's law and sees what God's standard is, the response should be, I, I failed. I haven't been obedient to God's righteous law his standard of what is right and wrong. So that brings us to the, the first truth here, the first principle as we look at these two discouraging truths. Number one, uh, you must recognize you are not good enough to earn eternal life. So when the rich young ruler says, what must I do? And Jesus says, well, here's some things to do. The rich young ruler should have gone, okay, what's plan B? I'm not going to be able to do those things. How does he respond instead? Look at verse 21. He said, all these I've kept from my youth. And Matthew would say, what do I lack? He sees that there's something insufficient about the path that he's following, but he doesn't understand his failure. And so Jesus responds in verse 22. Jesus heard this and said to him, one thing you still lack. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. In other words, Jesus says, you know what? I'm not going to engage in you in some rabbinic dialogue about whether or not you've kept these commandments or not. We're not going to try to redefine what it means to honor your parents. 
fine, let's just give you that. Now let's just take one more thing. You say, well, Daniel, what's wrong with Jesus here? I mean, I understand, okay, fine, maybe he's doing those commandments to help the guy understand his lack of righteousness, but now surely is the time to present the gospel. It's gospel time, Jesus. Give him the gospel. Beloved, let me tell you, he does give him the gospel. And the fact that we don't see the gospel here in verse 22 tells us how weak and pathetic our understanding of the gospel has become. What is he saying? Look at it closely. Give up this and get me. Give up these things, repent of these things, repent of the pursuit of these things, and, and follow me, obtain me, grasp me. Jesus is the treasure. And we've made the phrase, believe in Jesus, place your trust in Jesus, pray a prayer. We've made that mean so little that at times when we even say the phrase, believe in Jesus, we're presenting a false gospel. See, the gospel isn't, hey, believe in some guy named Jesus that lived a long time ago and, and, and have some nice thoughts about Jesus. Believe in this guy that, that wants you to just kind of add, add him to your life. And so you've got this, this work life, you've got your home life, you've got your hobbies, now add Jesus. That's not the gospel. Jesus' explanation here of the gospel is shocking. And it's shocking not just to the rich young ruler, it's shocking to you and to me as well. What does Jesus say throughout the Gospel of Luke? In Luke 5.11, we see Luke tells us that when the, these, these guys, the, the disciples had brought their boats to, to land, uh, Peter and James and John, they, they left everything and they followed him. In verses 27 and 28 of that same chapter of Luke 5, Jesus goes out and he sees a tax collector named Levi sitting at the, at the tax booth and he said to him, follow me, receive me, and leaving everything, he rose and followed him. Uh, he, Levi leaves everything there on the table and follows Jesus. Luke chapter 9, verse 23, Jesus says to everyone, if anyone would come after me, you want to be saved, you want to receive eternal life, you want the kingdom, you want to follow me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Treasure me, grasp me, for whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. That's the gospel. The gospel isn't some vague conception about have an intellectual understanding of who Jesus is, accept the, the North American prosperity and add Jesus to it. The gospel is forsake all and obtain Christ. Count everything else as rubbish. Count everything else as worthless and say, my treasure is the person of Jesus Christ. That's the gospel. How is the young man going to respond to this? Tragically. Verse 23 says, when he heard these things, 
he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. Here's the second principle. You must treasure Jesus Christ to be saved. You must treasure Jesus Christ to be saved. If you want to receive Jesus Christ, you can't just have some nice thoughts about him. You can't just say, I, I, I believe, whatever. You have to treasure him. You have to recognize that he's Lord and Savior, understand his value, and place your trust in him alone as that treasure. You must treasure Jesus Christ to be saved. And the rich young ruler refuses. Dante, in his great epic, the Inferno, would talk about seeing people in, in hell and the first circle of hell in, in Dante's imagination. He says, uh, he describes someone that some believe that he's talking about this rich young ruler. He says, I beheld the, the shadow, the shade of him who made through cowardice the great refusal. And that in a tragic picture, he made the, the great refusal, refusing to treasure Jesus Christ and wanting to, cl to cling to things of this world. Brothers and sisters, let me tell you, the same decision that the rich young ruler faced is a decision that, that we face as well. And if you would this morning say, there are things that I would not give up for the person of Jesus Christ, let me tell you, you have not accepted the gospel. You find yourself in the same position as the rich young ruler. Let me read you a story. It's a little, a little lengthy. It's written by Amy Carmichael, who ministered in India in the first half of the 20th century. And uh, she wrote this about encountering this woman in India, a very prominent woman with a, a prominent uh, head of a house. Uh, Amy Carmichael writes, We soon made friends with her. She had received the initiation. The golden symbol of her God had been branded upon her shoulder, and she was sworn to lifelong devotion to him, but she had found that he was in vain. She had found that he was in vain, and she never worshipped him. She, she said she worshipped God alone, and at night when the household is sleeping, she said, I, I go up alone to an upper room and stretch out my hands to the God of all, and then cry with a loud voice. Then she suddenly turned and faced me full, that is Amy Carmichael, and she said to Amy, tell me, is that enough, she said, is it, it all I must do for salvation's sake. She seems so close, right? Amy Carmichael goes on. I, I read her a little of what Jesus says about himself. She knew quite enough to understand and to take in the force of the forceful words. She would not consent to be led gently on. No, I must know it now, she said, as verse by verse we read to her. Her face settled sorrowfully. So far must I follow? So far, she said, oh, I cannot follow so far. Amy continues to talk about this interaction she had with this, this woman. I want to be a Christian, she said, and for a moment I hoped great things. For as the mistress of the house, she was almost free to do as she chose. I, I thought of her influence over her sons and their wives and little grandchildren. And I, I think my face showed the hope I had. For she said, looking very directly at me, by a Christian, I mean one who, who worships your God and, and ceases to worship all other gods. 
for he alone is the living God, the pervader of, of all and provider. This I fully believe and affirm, but I cannot break my cast. Would you continue to keep it in all ways? Would you continue to smear Siva's sign on your forehead? That is indeed part of my cast. I turned to verse after verse to show her this sort of thing could never be, how it would mock that the love of Christ and nullify his sacrifice. I urged upon her that if she were true and the central thought of her life were towards God, all the outworkings would correspond creed fitting deed and deed fitting creed without the least shade of diversity and there she sat queen of her home the sons were expected and she had been making preparations for their coming her little grandchildren played about her each one of them as dear as the jewel of her eye how could she leave it all how could she leave them all home all that it stands for children all that they mean she looked at me again and i shall never forget the look it seemed as if she were looking me through and through and forcing the answer to come i cannot live here and break my cast if i break it i must go and i cannot live here without keeping my customs if i break them break them i must go you know all this i ask you then tell me yes or no can i live here and keep my cast and at the same time follow your god tell me yes or no I did not tell her, how could I? But she read the answer in my eyes, and she said as she had said before, I cannot follow so far, so far, I cannot follow so far. She couldn't treasure Jesus above the things of her life. Even dear and precious things, Christ must be supreme over to receive the gospel. It's a shocking explanation of the gospel, but it's biblical. We do others and ourselves a disservice when we present something less than that. It's a struggle of every human heart. J.C. Ryle would say, many are ready to give up everything for Christ's sake except one darling little sin, and for the sake of that sin are lost forevermore. And he's exactly right. Let's look then, lastly, then at the great answer that Jesus provides. There's these, these two discouraging truths. They're, they're beautiful truths, but they're also discouraging because look what happens. The, the young man turns away when he hears these things. He says, I, I can't follow so far. Verse 24, Jesus, seeing that he becomes sad, said, How difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. A rich person has the, the wealth and the things of this world that they're tempted to treasure and, and hold on to and, and to cling to. And because of those things, it's hard for them to release of those things and, and see the value and the beauty of Jesus Christ and to treasure him instead. That brings the story to the point that Jesus wanted it to come to. And in verses 26 and 27, we see the heart of the story. And if you just read verse 20 and say, ah, that's the gospel. No, it's not. We see the gospel presented in Jesus' description in verse 21, or excuse me, verse 22. And then what we, this interchange we have here this is what he wants us to understand. Those who heard it said, then who can be saved? <laughs> if this rich, moralistic, young guy we all esteem if that guy can't get in what hope do we have 
And Jesus communicates this great truth. It's impossible. And what is impossible with men is possible with God. The impossible, the impossible of a person receiving eternal life, the impossibility of a person being able to say, I, I, I passed from death into life, what's impossible with God is made possible by Jesus Christ. In Hebrews chapter 7, the writer of Hebrews would say it was indeed fitting that we should have a high priest, such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need, like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sin and then for the sins of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men in their weaknesses, in their weakness as high priests, but the word of the oath, which came later than the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. The great answer that the word of God communicates to us, that Jesus is trying to help the people understand, is salvation is impossible. It's not just hard, it's impossible. And the only possibility of eternal life is to count all this as nothing and to cling to me, to follow me. Peter speaks up, surprisingly, right? <laughs> he says, look, we, we've done this. We've left our homes, and, and we, we've followed you. We've treasured you. And, and he gives these encouraging words. Truly I say to you, there's no one who's done that, who's left house or wife or brothers or parents or children. In other words, count them as, as lost for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times more in this time and in the age to come eternal life. The great answer, the shocking truth of the gospel, the shocking explanation of the gospel is that in order to be saved, you must treasure Christ. You must treasure Christ. This morning, my hope would be that each of us has asked ourselves that question. How can I receive eternal life? How can I receive eternal life? How can I participate in, in God's kingdom plan? And that we think through these, these hard truths that, that God communicates to us. These, these hard truths that, that we have a, a need that we cannot meet on our own. That we're in a, we have an inability to, to obey these commandments. And, and that there's this, this treasure, Jesus Christ. And I'm in need of God's divine work in my heart to be able to respond to him even in, in faith. And so this morning, my question to you is, will you place your faith in Jesus Christ? Now that you understand what that commitment looks like, would you say, you know what? Compared to all else, everything else is, is garbage. All these other things in my life are, are garbage compared to the person of Jesus Christ. Now, will God call you to sell everything you have, give it all to the poor, in order to follow him? I don't know. Generally, generally he doesn't. And yet, this morning, if you'd say, you know what? I can't follow God so far. And there's some sin or there's some, some, some possession you have in your life. That's, and you say, you know what? I could follow God up to that point, but, but no further. 
understand you haven't treasured Christ. There are going to be imperfections in our obedience, absolutely. There are going to be times that we cling to the treasures that we've said we've forsaken, but understand this, a person who persists in clinging to the things of this world and won't treasure the person of Jesus Christ has not received the gospel. I don't want to be inappropriate in my explanation of the gospel to you this morning. I don't want to hook you in by saying, hey, you know what, uh, come to Jesus and, and all these, these problems that you have now no longer exist. I don't want to be inappropriate in my, my gospel message this morning and say, hey, you know what, all I want to do is just real quickly say a prayer and we'll, we'll worry about what it comes in the future later. No, I want you to understand up front, this is a serious commitment that a person makes in order to follow after Jesus Christ. You cannot love your life and simultaneously save it. He who loves his life will lose it. He who loses his life for my sake will save it. My encouragement to you this morning is to see the great treasure who is Jesus Christ and to trust in that treasure alone, the person of Jesus Christ alone for your salvation, to receive the righteousness that you have no ability to obtain on your own. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the good news of your son, Jesus. We, we thank you for our treasure. Father, give us the ability to receive him in faith. We pray this in his name. Amen.